0: Well, good morning. <laughs> i tell you what, it's been really fun the last few weeks um, seeing some faces that we haven't seen in a couple of years back, and uh, if that's you, again, as Paul was saying, we are so excited to have you uh, back at home, and, uh, and if you're online, we'd love to see you, and we hope you're having an awesome time. So it is a, it's such a blessing, it's such a joy to be here, and to be here with compassion um, international today, and you'll get to meet Kiwi here in a minute, and then you'll want to spend uh, a few thousand years hanging out with her, so you'll definitely want to go to heaven just to hang out with Kiwi, so um, if no other reason. Um, that, that may not be the best theology, but it's still true. You'll see. You'll, I'm, I'm just telling you. All right, so um, I'm going to, to read the passage that we're looking at today, and then I'm going to, uh, to unpack that, and then I've got a little, uh, a little tiny housekeeping thing to, to talk about as well that's always fun. So um, here we go, Second uh, um, Peter chapter 1, last week we read these and now we're going to unpack them 12 through 15, therefore, uh, Peter writes, I intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in a truth that you have. I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. One of the themes that we're going to get, which is one of my favorite biblical themes, especially my favorite New Testament themes, is this Christian concept that the post-Civil War romance era of poetry and literature had this theme called Carpe Diem, to seize the day. If you're my age, you grew up with that, with a movie called Dead Poet Society Um, and you always want to stand on chairs every time you talk about it at all, um, for the rest of you, you have no idea what I'm talking about and that's just, you just missed out. Um, (laughs) so, um, it is such a beautiful concept. It truly is a concept that God authored and ordained, the idea that we should keep track of our days and live them well because they are limited. There's a, there's a certain number of them, and this is concept is here again unpacked in these three passages and these three verses um, as we're going to do that. On that note, I want to take a second and, and communicate some appreciation to three, uh, three particular people um, it's always uh, one of the things you may have noticed here at, at South Spring, if you've been coming for a while, is that, is that relative, I think, at least to many churches, we have pretty low staff turnover. And so we, we, it's not very common for us to have staff leave. We've grown as a church significantly. When I first came, we would have a single service on Sunday morning with 280 people in it. And uh, now here we are 10 years later, with um, last week, we actually not to celebrate this, I just this just struck me. But literally, just realizing last week was our largest, actually attended Sunday ever in our church's history, of, as either First Baptist South Campus or South Spring, which is fun. But that was a uh, just 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 to see what God has done and done through us, and in many cases, probably most cases, despite us, and uh, and it's it's fun to be a part of that. So so here's the deal: when I say, hey, we've got a couple of staff members who are actually transitioning out of staff role. If you've grown up in church, you immediately feel this horrible, icy sense of fear. Oh, no, what's going on? Again, if you're not a part of church, you're like, isn't this normal? It is, but it just doesn't feel normal to church people because so often there's like, oh, what's really the story going on? And there's nothing. It's actually pretty exciting. I'm super, in fact, proud of the fact that with the exception of when our staff, when they do leave and they go work at another church... As in the first example, I want to tell you, Chris Sherrod, and we celebrated him a few weeks ago when we found out he was going to be going. But Chris Sherrod, who's been um, our uh, minister of discipleship, he's he's heading over to, to Watermark in Dallas. He's going to be taking point on a lot of their family ministries there. We are super proud to be launching him and sending him. I know he has had an impact on many who are here, especially. Um, some of the men and some of the teachers who we have. And I'm excited to see what God does for us here as he's heading out. But what a great opportunity. What a great blessing. Um, and we're excited for him. Um, he's hoping to continue to be a part of the Reconstructed Faith podcast and still other ministries. And and just it's just a great opportunity for him and for the kingdom and a partnership. And again, it's so natural for us to think like, oh, what's the... That's it. I mean, we're so pumped to send him. What a great opportunity. So again, if you see him, I think he's in the service over there somewhere, grab him, hug him, tell him how much you appreciate him and uh, and what his role has been in your life and ministry. And so thank you, Chris, for your role here. And and we're just proud to have served with you, to be serving with you and continue to here. Um, we also, Andrew Eshbaugh, if you've been uh, in the last, say, nine to 10 months, if you've been here and you've said you've had a birthday party, you've hosted a birthday party here or a Staff event for your office, or, or um, man, I don't know any any of the things that cause people to use our property other than a church activity. Then you've interacted with Andrew, um, super helpful, um, a great leader, and he's transitioning into a local job um, in the business world. And in fact, what's funny is after I taught a couple of weeks ago about the fact that you know when we're when you take on a staff role, you're kind of becoming a coach, and you no longer get to be so much of one of the players. The players are you guys and the coaches are who God has chosen kind of in these roles and staff roles. Um, It's not that we don't play some too, but we don't get to as much sometimes, even as much as we would like to because our job now has to become more coaching. In in many church mindsets, it is that the staff are the players and the congregation are the um, uh, spectators. And that's wrong. Uh, That's not how that works. Um, The spectators are out there in the world. We're the players and, and we're to get involved out there and All of us. Well, when Andrew let us know, one of the things he said was, he he said, I'm actually just very excited to get back on the field. Um, And so, uh, Andrew is, is going to, he and his new wife, Sydney, are going to continue to be members here. In fact, you'll probably see more of them. They're joining our worship team. And maybe most amazingly, they've agreed to work. He's excited to, he actually said excited, excited to work with middle school boys. So you kind of got to sign them up when people say that, and you lock them in for life, like you, a, a binding um, what a great, what a great ministry opportunity. Um, uh, I still pray for my I don't remember who they were, but I pray forgiveness for my middle school ministers when I was in middle school. Um, and then also, um, uh, when you see something fall through the cracks over the next few weeks that doesn't happen the way it was supposed to. It's because we're scrambling to figure out all the different things that Elizabeth Smith has done on our staff over the last almost 10 years. Elizabeth is now stepping into, she's gonna be running the front office for our very own Bo Keeling, another member of our church who runs a therapy office. And she's stepping into that role. um, And which is, again, she's been here almost 10 years. We're proud of her and excited for her. She's also not going anywhere. She's on the worship team. She's working with high school girls. And so I will tell you, one of the things I'm most proud of for our staff, and honestly, guys, this has more to do with the church than anything else, is that when our staff leave their jobs here at the church, unless they're going to another church, typically what they do is they stay a member here. And that says something so much about this congregation. Um, It is a blessing to minister alongside of you guys to such a degree that when you no longer pay them to do it, they just want to stay here and do it. Which is great for the budget, by the way. They just... (laughs) Now we don't have to pay them anymore. So um, it's really awesome. Again, if you see them, please um, tell, you, tell them how much you appreciate their role and what they've done and how you're excited to continue to minister with them. Um, it's, it, is, it is a joy. Years ago when I came on, um, when I was very dubious about joining church ministry full time and talked to Gary Brandenburg, who many of you know, and he said, one of the things you want to be watching for is whether people leave for the right reasons. And uh, whether that's church membership, they leave for the right reasons, or whether it's staff, they leave for the right reasons. And I will tell you, that's how that works here. Um, If you have any questions, in fact, I would tell you, ask them about what they're doing next. They would love to tell you. They're excited about it and their roles here. And then be praying as that leaves gaps for us to figure out. And uh, and that means we've got to figure out what we're going to do here as well. I'm excited to see what God's going to do. And again, if that little... Thing in the back of your mind is like, man, I wonder what the real story is. It's, you just heard it, and <laughs> go ask them again. It's, it's. I get it. I know we all have PTSD, uh, but it's uh, it's really the deal. All right. So, um, if you've looked at this passage, and um, uh, I hope you have, one of the some of the older versions of an older version of the Bible, it will ha- it was be speaking in the negative here, meaning. Instead of the way this, the version I read said, I intend to always remind you, there these versions say, I will not be negligent to, however that works for you. Both are fine in the language. There's not, and they both say essentially the same thing. Um, It's just how you, whether you speak more passively or actively, and then um, whatever speaks to your heart with that. But in this case, what Peter is saying is, listen, if, if, if I stop giving you this message, it means I'm dead. Um, And that's how we're going to keep unpacking this. This is not a strange idea here when Peter says, I'm reminding you of something you haven't forgotten. I'm reminding you of something that you knew. I'm reminding you of something that that you are aware of. That sounds strange. In marriage, that's called nagging. When you remind somebody of something that they haven't forgotten, there's a sense in which that's what Peter is doing here, is he is reminding us of something and he's saying, listen, I know you know this, but I think you need to hear it again. And again and again. It's very common. This this is a John does it in first John two twenty one. Listen to how he says it. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie of no because no lie is of the truth. In other words, you know the truth, hang on to the truth, don't let go of the truth, and I'm going to remind you some more of the truth. Jude does it as well. Listen to how Jude does it. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, now that's intriguing, isn't it? You used to know this all the way. And I feel like you've slipped a little, seems to be what Jude is saying. You've lost some of the color in your, in your um, understanding. You've had some mission drift. And that's not cool. He's saying, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt and after destroyed those who did not believe. I want to remind you again. And by the way, this is a big deal. For the Jewish people in particular, remembering what God did at the Exodus is a common thing in the Hebrew Scriptures. Remember that God brought you out of Egypt. Remember that God brought you out of Egypt. It comes up over and over again. It's a big one. In fact, this idea of remembering is vital. It's just us as humans, we drift, we slip, we forget, we, we, we lose track of the things that are sometimes most important. In every segment of Scripture... Every segment of Scripture, it's a theme. <clears throat> it's in the law, Exodus twenty eighteen. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Need a weekly reminder, every single week, remember, I'm still God and you still aren't. The prophets, Isaiah 46, 9 is an example. There's lots of this in the prophets. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Don't forget that. <clears throat> in the writings, King David, especially, who I think dealt with a lot of anxiety, depression, discouragement, the emotions that we face, and he had every reason to. He was being chased most of his life. He was in hiding a lot of his life. And we regularly hear him reference turning to God in the night. Listen to this phrase, Psalm one nineteen fifty five: I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. So in the night when he's most tempted, in the night when he's most afraid... He remembers God's name. It shows up in the New Testament over and over again as well. In the Gospels, of course, again, a reference to the Passover, to the last Passover that Jesus took with his disciples, Luke 22. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Notice Jesus is saying not just the remembrance of what God did in Egypt, not just what he did at the Passover, not just what he did with the Exodus, But the fact that God sets his people free, when you remember that, remember me, Jesus says. Remember that that's what God does. Every time at 840, when we take communion over here together, every time we reference this passage, remember what he has done. By the way, that's open to everybody. If you want to be here, if you're here at 840 and you want to take communion with us, that's not like just the band or just the leadership team. No, that's, that's everybody. Communion is never closed. Um, you're welcome to come and join us at that time if you want to. So, um, 2 Thessalonians 2.15. This one doesn't have the word remember, but listen to the concept of tradition here. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So again, look at the traditions. That's why traditions exist. Traditions exist to make us remember. That's why we do it this way again and again. Every church has liturgy. Every church has traditions. <clears throat> it's either they're in, they may be in books or they may just be in practice. It may be known, it may not be known, but all of us have that. We have it in our homes, we have it, and we need it. It does not replace scripture, it does not overrule truth. Um, it doesn't mean we don't test and question and push traditions at times, but it does mean they're important to help us remember, remember certain things. Um, so then, Uh, Brother, stand firm and hold to the traditions that were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And then, of course, in Revelation 2-5, we get a lot of remembering commandments, especially in Revelation 2 and 3 to the churches. This is an example of one of them. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Repenting is a type of remembering. It's a type of remembering that demands a change. I remember who I was, I remember what I did, and now I'm changing. I'm going in a different direction. Um, I've decided to walk the other way rather than that way. It's vital. And Peter's going to come back to it over and over again in this letter to remember the truth of who Christ is, what he has done in power, and what gift that is that he gave us. It's intriguing to me, one of the funny things about... Uh, research is how often um, secular research will confirm scriptural concepts. That that doesn't surprise us. Um, It's exactly what we would expect. A few years ago, uh, a Jewish couple by the name of the Gottmans, um, who are famous among counselors because they did tons of research on marriage, tons, thousands and thousands of hours of research on marriages, and began to find patterns, what marriages are good and what marriages are bad and which ones make it and which ones don't, and it's, it's really fascinating research. One of the funny things they discovered was that people who tell their story often, tell the story of their marriage, tell the story of how they came together, they tend to have happier marriages, and they tend to last longer. Now, that's strange. Why is that the case? Well, of course, that would make sense. It always used to make me wonder that that's why, like, camp directors, people who work with college students... It's really rare to see them have just disastrously bad marriages or to see their marriages fall apart. And some of me wonders if it's because when you work with college students, and I do some of that, that when you run into a college student and you open it up the floor and you go, you know what, you guys can ask me anything you want. One of the first questions will be, how did you and your wife meet? I've told that story, I don't mean how many thousands of times in 30 years of being married, how many thousands of times I've told our story. And it gets better every time I tell it. In fact, it's better if I tell it when Ginger's not there so she can't correct the, uh, the stuff that I add in there, um, especially some of the early on stuff about how attracted she was to me. That's, a, that's an important part of the story that she needs to miss every time I tell it. Um, that's not how that went. The, um, uh, but here's, here's, what, here's what the Gottmans discovered. They discovered that people who, who come to counseling, most often when people come to counseling, they come to marriage counseling, and here's what they'll say. They'll say, we're not in love anymore. And we never were. I don't think we ever were in love. I don't think I ever really loved him. I don't think I ever really loved her. Now, just ask yourself, what are the chances that that's true? So what Gottman encourages and what I do is I say, you know what, next week I want you to bring in your wedding album. Because I've always wanted to see what the wedding photos look like at a wedding where no one wants to be there. (laughs) I bet those are some funny pictures. If everybody just looks angry... You know, they're like, I hate this. I'm so sick of this. I hate this guy. Fine, yes. Anyway, whatever, whatever those married, whatever the, because it turns out they don't look that way. You get those wedding photos, and guess what? Everyone looks happy, especially the bride and groom. They're crazy about each other. Man, they're just over the moon about each other. They're just crazy about each other. It turns out there was a time when they loved each other. And they were in love with each other. And the problem is, as humans, when we, if we don't allow the good things that have happened in our life, if we don't look back and remember the good things God has done and impose that upon our current situation, the opposite will happen. Is that our current situation will begin to impose itself on our memories. And what happens is if we're going through a tough time, we look back and it's always seemed tough. I encourage all Christians to read Screwtape Letters, the book by C.S. Lewis, written from a demon's perspective, talking about how one of the things the demon wants to do is to encourage us, that when we're in low spots, the demon wants to encourage us to think, it's always been like this. You know what? It's always been bad, which is, of course, not true. It's It's a great reminder to us to remember, and we need, ironically, reminders to remember. That's how that works. And Peter is passionate about this. Verse 13, I think it right so long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. In other words, as I said, the Apostle Peter is saying, if you ever stop hearing this message from me, it will mean I'm dead. If you don't hear this from me, it means I'm gone and dead. And here's the challenge. I'd love to encourage you to be considering, I think Peter's giving us a little bit of his ministry resume here. This is his web page would be, you know, uh, SimeonPeterMinistries.com would have the, the mission statement at the beginning, would be, I'm going to continue to stir you up by way of reminder of what Christ has done. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep bugging you about it. If you're not sick of it, you've not heard it enough. And this is, a, this is the picture. And I hope you have that, by the way. I hope every one of us. I, I, I uh, used Alan Pig as my example this morning because it's, today is his birthday. Um, so feel free to hassle him about that, but it's his birthday. And if you know Alan, you've been loved by Alan, because that's, that's the way Alan deals with people. Um, uh, I, I actually literally was calling somebody about a total other topic yesterday, and they said, by the way, does Alan Pig still go to South Spring? I was like, yes. He goes, isn't that guy great? I'm like, just out of the blue, you just randomly picked Alan. If you know him, you, and his ministry of generosity, of, of taking care of people, of knowing them well, of encouraging you, I mean, his ministry page would be significant, Adoption ministries, his marriage, his family, all those things would be significant. And I think all of us should picture, all believers should imagine that we have our own ministry page, AlanPigMinistries.com. And what's on that page? And what is that for you? Where do you serve? And where do you teach? And where do you lead? And where do you give? And, and that's significant. And we're going to be talking about Compassion International here in a few minutes. And if you're not already connected there, or even if you are, if you are, you know what a great ministry it is to be connected to. Get more connected. If you're not, it's time. So what is that? What is it called when you help someone else remember when you remind other people? Well, the answer is discipleship. That's what discipleship is, is when we remind each other. Friendship is mutual discipleship. Parenting is discipleship, as I say that neither party can escape. It's a, it's a type of teaching, like this is, this is who we are, and this is what we believe, and this is the, what we're remembering. And I want to I share uh, one more thing about this passage before I, uh, I call Kiwi up here in a minute. But Let's look at verse 15, because this is key to me. We talk about how you know, the Bible is written for us. Um, the, the, the Bible isn't necessarily, every part of the Bible isn't necessarily written directly to us. Some of it is to an ancient Hebrew culture, and some of it is to a, a priest, or some of it is just to builders of a temple, and, and some of them are letters written to specific people. So it may not always be directly to us. Of course, in a spiritual sense, it's, it's to us. But it is always for us. There's, there's truth there for us to learn and grow and unpack and, and wrestle with and, and face that. But there are certain passages that really seem to be directly to us. And this is one of them. It's, it's Peter saying, I know there are going to be Christians around after I'm gone who need to be reminded. Now, could Peter imagine that it would be in, the, in a Western hemisphere that he didn't know existed? Spoken in a language that didn't exist? By an ethnic group of people who didn't exist? Like, would he, would he have felt that way? I don't know. But in case Christians are around 2,000 years ago, I don't know if he was saying that. But he was saying, I know it's going to still be needed after I'm dead. Look at verse 15. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. He wants us to remember them even after he's gone. Now, when we think about this idea of remembering... And living in the eternal life in the moment. Let's look at this. What is one of the main things that the Jewish people are supposed to remember? We already talked about it. The Exodus. The Passover. The Jewish people are encouraged to remember this over and over again. Remember what God did in Egypt? Do you remember what God did in Egypt? Don't forget what God did in Egypt. And the Passover experience every year is entirely about remembering the Exodus of God's people from slavery in Egypt. And the way that God was with them from base camp to base camp for 40 plus years. In fact, as I thought about this, what struck me as is fascinating is that, is that, in fact, God was with them even though they were experiencing His punishment. That He assigned a punishment to them 40 years of traveling in the wilderness until a faithless generation died out. But what's wild is He didn't leave them alone in that. He still went with them. He experienced that with them. He went through the desert for 40 years with them, day in and day out. Um, I, in first service, I unpacked a little more than I intended to, but, but there was a ministry that, that Paul and I were involved in a while back and uh, several decades ago. And, um, uh, and, and in it, there was, you know, Paul was responsible directly for these students and, and I kind of oversaw the ministry teaching for them. And, and when the students didn't do their job during the week, we had this little thing we did where I would just get up and walk out of the room like I was, you know, that they were they hadn't come prepared and they, so they were wasting their time in mine. And, and so as the Bible study leader, I would just go like, you guys aren't ready today. I'm just going to go do something else. And then Paul would create a punishment for these young men. And, and uh, in most cases it involved running up and down a hill that, that was designed in hell. Um, this hill was, is like straight up and down and back and forth. And it's brutal. I don't know that I could walk it once and so Paul that day ran it a couple of times with some of the other leaders, and they ran it a couple of times and came back and were, you know, just sick and dead at the end of that, and then said, that feels about right, and then the leaders ran it with the boys again. So they ran it twice as much as the boys did, but they ran it with them. It reminded me of Coach uh, Fosh, the soccer coach that I had growing up in Nacogdoches, that you know, most coaches, you know, they, they blow the whistle and tell you to do another lap while they stand there and, you know, eat a donut or something, they tell you to... Coach Fosch ran with us, and he ran faster than us. And so there, we could never really complain that much. It was, it was like, oh, Fosh is having us run again. Like, don't say something loud. He'll hear you. He's at the front of the pack setting the pace for us. There's something very powerful about even when we face discipline or hardship or pain or whatever it is with the fact that the person who puts us in that then faces it with us. something very powerful about that. And I love this imagery of God saying, I'm not going to let you forget me because I'm right there. I'm right here in the midst with you. In fact, they got, they got manna every day as a gift from God for 40 years while they faced the consequences of their faithlessness. It strikes me as fascinating. I just read this recently, the passage that says that once they'd gotten to Jericho, that one morning they woke up and there was no manna on the ground. How weird is that? 40 years of manna being six days out of seven and then there was a Monday morning and no manna. How weird must that have been? God didn't abandon them then either. So as we were unpacking this and looking at this passage and thinking about this remember concept, Paul noticed something interesting while we're discussing it in the Greek. So if you'll throw the interlinear up on the screen, Uh, the interlinear that we look at when we're studying these passages, you know, has the English and then it has the Greek and it has an an English transliteration um, for those like me who don't understand the Greek. And then and then it's got the, these, the reference point words under it. And here's what Paul noticed. If you read down through it, I think it right as long as I'm in this body. Now, the word there, body, is not the normal word for body. And so he noticed this. And he was like, hey, let's look at this. It turns out that the word there is the word for tent or tabernacle. It's the Greek word for tabernacle. In fact, both times in this passage that the body is used, it's the word tabernacle. Verse 13, so it would say this, I think it right as long as I'm in this tabernacle (laughs) to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my tabernacle will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. In other words, this is the striking of a tent. It is the taking down of a tabernacle. In a passage with a Jewish man teaching about remember what God has done, when you notice the word tabernacle, you should sit up and pay attention. And so we started unpacking it. Now the apostle Paul does this. He uses this language. In 2 Corinthians 5.1, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, external in the heavens. So again, the tent that is our earthly home, talking about our bodies. So think about how our bodies are like tents. It's intriguing that both Peter and Paul use language to indicate that our bodies are like temples. And they are, in a sense, that they're like temples in that there is a crossover. There is a, there's a sense, This is where the divine meets the human. This is where the material meets the immaterial, where those two things come together. But in, so in some way like that, we're like a temple. But isn't it true that in more ways, in many ways, we're also like a tabernacle? We are temporary. Our bodies, at least, are temporary. They're functional, but not permanent. So once I had this, once this was in my mind, I start looking and find out that the word established here can mean to fix upright with supports. That's suspicious. That sounds like a tent thing. One commentary pointed out that the term here, stir, can mean to awaken, to wake someone up. In other words, this analogy that I, think, I now think Peter is doing on purpose here is that we are these, this, this tabernacle, a place where God and man meet, um, the impermanent place. There's a time to set up the tent and a time to wake up and take down the tent and move on, that that's what's happening. It does seem significant to me that the Greek phrase Peter uses here for departure, for leaving, is the word exodon. It's the same word that is used for the name we gave to the book, the Exodus. I don't think that's accidental. I think Peter here is intentionally saying, you need to remember what God has done, and then he is weaving this Jewish imagery of the people being with God in the desert, in the wilderness, and then there's going to come a day when we strike the tent one last time and we move on into the promised land. That one of these days we're going to stop this, and then when the next time the tent is set up, it's not going anywhere. It's permanent. It's going to be in Shiloh, and it's going to be there for many hundreds of years. Ladies and gentlemen, I would tell you, this is not our final home. These bodies are amazing, but in the end they are temporary. One day we will, each of us, stop breathing, turn cold, and die. Will we have invested our lives in the things that we can take with us into eternity? When the day comes when we wake up and we strike the tent and we get ready to move on when God says it's time, will we have invested in eternity during our life here?